send them off in Jesus' name and also in our name as SWEG. Um, they go as an extension of our church into a region that most people here have never been to. I've certainly never been to North Africa, but it's one of the neediest places in the world. So um, Kerry, Heidi, and Nazalia, we love you guys, and we will miss you so much, but um, we're just so proud of you that we get to go with you on this, and God will go with you every step of the way we know. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all the fathers and grandfathers. Here is what I got in the form of a poem from Bethany this morning. She gave me permission to read this out, so here it goes. My dad. My dad is awesome. My dad is so cool. He will always help me when I need work for school. My dad is amazing. My dad is so funny. Even though he's allergic, he let me get a bunny. (laughs) My dad loves me a lot. He also loves his bike. And from a show called Stranger Things... He likes Eleven and Mike. My dad loves me a lot, and I love him too, even though when he farts, it smells like moldy fish stew. But I didn't write this to criticize all your embarrassing jokes. I know that you're far better than me. You can fry eggs without breaking the yolks. So I'd like to say, Happy Father's Day. You can fart, but I don't mind. I love you anyway. From Bethany. Bethany is uh, 10 years old, and yes, we're very proud of her. <laughs> um, it's Father's Day, and so it's, it's important to remember that for most cultures in most of history, um, your father and your father's family is really so important. So, um, I mean, I wonder if, if someone asked you, who are you, how would you introduce yourself? How would you introduce yourself? Well, for thousands of years, in most cultures, they would introduce themselves in terms of their fathers or their family. And now you know that if you're from um, a Chinese background, you, your name even, your, your surname comes first. So my Chinese name is Ke Wenwei. Ke is my surname. It comes first. Um, even European culture, going back thousands of years, you would introduce yourself as, I am the son of, right, of the tribe or the clan of. So I would introduce myself, you know, a thousand years ago, as, my name is Peter, I'm the son of James of the clan Ko. Now, that kind of idea is reflected even in modern surnames. So, Wilson means you're the son of William. Spanish names like Fernandez means son of Fernando. Petrov, like Russian names, is of Peter. Stefanovic is son of Stefan. Uh, If you meet anyone with the Irish name O-something, O'Connell, O'Donnell, right? Or or, or O'Connor, that means of right? So, of Connor, of Donald. Uh, names such as the Scottish names, the Mac names, you know, McGee, Mackenzie, Mac means son of, all right? So, uh, even our names reflect fatherhood. So, if I were Irish, Scottish, I'd introduce myself as, hello, my name is Peter Jameson, or hello, my name is Peter O'Cole. That's how I would introduce my. Do you like my Irish accent? I worked hard on that. Practice all week. Um, because in traditional cultures, right, you are your father's son, You are your father's daughter. That is your identity. In traditional cultures, your value is tied to your family, where you're from, who you're from. Now, I gather that's not how most of us would introduce ourselves today, because modern Western culture is very different. Someone asks you, who are you? You usually say, "Uh, I am so-and-so, I work. You may talk about your work. You may talk about where you live, where you grew up. How old are you? Because our value nowadays is not so much family, but 
freedom, right? That's the modern Western value, freedom. I am who I choose to be. So I'm defined by my choices, where I live, what I do for work, my profession, my career, what I study. Do you, you see what I mean, how different that is? Now, if you are a migrant, and a lot of us come from migrant families, um, you might feel like I do often, caught between two cultures, yeah? It's difficult to navigate, isn't it? Because on the one hand, the, the Eastern traditional culture is your family, the Western culture is freedom, and you're caught between both. Now, when we rewind to Jesus' day, the Jews of his day would have totally resonated with that. They would have understood the same kind of thing for us. Because for them, it's also both. I mean, they, they are part of traditional culture, Eastern culture, which is based on family and fatherhood. But for the Jews, their particular history and their identity is rooted in being free. They were a free people because they'd been freed from slavery. They didn't belong to anyone, but belonged to God. Right? So for them, it's also too, both family and freedom. Their identity, like many of the migrant experiences, is both. Which is why when we come to John chapter 8, which we'll read in a moment, we'll see that Jesus is going to shake their identity to the core. Because he's going to say to them, both your ancestry and your freedom are false. Right? He, Jesus is cutting off their whole sense of identity and security. Now, why does Jesus do that? It's because Jesus wants to offer them a family and a freedom that's far more secure that no one can take away. And he wants to do the same for us this morning. I want to say that to you. Are you prepared for God to speak to you? Because he wants to say to you, that he is also able to offer you an identity and a family and a freedom that is far more secure that no one can take away. And I wonder if that's something that you come this morning and you really want. Some of you will already be thinking, yes, I want that. Because on a day like Father's Day, you especially feel it, don't you? Because you feel the loss of family. Maybe your dad has passed away or maybe... Your dad was neglectful or abusive or absent or you had bad fathers and you never really knew or maybe you didn't ever really know your dad and you feel kind of lost because you don't know who your family is. Well, Jesus is going to offer you something even more stable, more secure than an earthly family. For others, you may not feel free in that, yeah, you live in a free country, but you feel like for the whole of your life, the choices were made for you. Or maybe you made some bad choices and now you feel trapped by these bad choices. You don't feel free. And so Jesus is going to offer you a new kind of freedom. Jesus wants to give you something better. So will you pray with me? And uh, we're going to get into this passage. Can I just get someone to get me the clicky thing? I forgot to bring it up to the front. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. That on a day like today where we celebrate fatherhood, that you are a father and you are willing to be a better, more secure, more wonderful father than anyone could hope to be or have. So we pray, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might really speak to every person here, especially those who are looking for stability, identity in either family or freedom. Jesus, you come to offer something better. Amen. No, we don't have it? All right. Okay, that's all right. I will just 
tell you when to go to the next slide. Okay, um, I've got three points. Um, point number one, who is Jesus? So the context, we've been in John, and last week we looked at John chapter 7, you'll remember. John chapter 7 and 8 actually belong together. Remember, Jesus is at a special festival, an important Jewish festival called the Tabernacles. Now, some of you look at the beginning of chapter 8 and you're thinking, oh, why couldn't we have covered that really wonderful bit with Jesus saves that woman caught in adultery about to be stoned? I would love to have preached on that bit, but unfortunately, that was almost certainly not part of John's original gospel. Oh, great story, but not part of scripture. Ask me about it later. Um, and so if you get rid of chapters, uh, verses 1 to 11 of chapter 8, you'll see that chapter 12 will directly continue from Jesus's confrontation with Jewish leaders in Jerusalem on this festival, and we kind of pick up where we left off last week. Now, uh, we don't have time to read all of 7 and 8, so what I'm going to do is do a bit of a cheat method, and uh, what we're going to do is look at all... So if you have your Bibles in front of you, the ones on the pews, turn to page 866, and just look at the headings that the editors of the, that translation of the Bible, called the NIV... Look at the headings that they've put for us. I've actually put it on a slide too. Can you go to the next slide? Um, and you'll see these headings. They kind of give us a clue as to the movement of these, cha- of, of these chapters from 7 to 8. So um, we start off with chapter 7, Jesus goes to the festival, first heading. Right, a few verses later, Jesus is teaching at the festival. Then in verse 25, there's going to be a division over who Jesus is. 45, unbelief of the Jewish leaders, so he's coming against some opposition. And then we, when we skip to chapter 8, verse 12, they're going to dispute Jesus' testimony. And then chapter 8, verse 21, dispute over Jesus, who Jesus is. Okay, you, you kind of get the, the vibe, isn't it? Um, Jesus' identity, who is Jesus, is the big question. As he comes into Jerusalem and faces the Jewish authorities, they want to know, who is this man? Is he the Messiah? the promised king, the promised savior of the Jews. And if he is, they want to know, well, how can he claim these kind of things about himself? On what basis, on what authority does he do it? Uh, For a moment, imagine that you are applying for a job and some of you are maybe between jobs and looking for a job or have looked for a job recently. So you apply for a job and I'll just give you an example. So one of our elders, Nelson, he comes to the afternoon service at Bankstown. Um, I saw that last week he posted up something on Facebook that his employer, Mission Australia, is looking for a business intelligence data analyst. Who actually knows what that means? I don't. All right? Business intelligence data analyst. Say, hypothetically, you're applying for that position. So you go and apply, and you're essentially saying to them, business intelligent data analyst, I'm your guy, right? That's me. Now, what are they going to ask you next? They're going to ask you, show me, prove, right? Prove to me that you can do this job, that you're qualified for it. And so you would need what? Your resume and your references to back up that you can do this job that you claim you can do. Now, in Jesus' day, the resume isn't work experience on a piece of paper. If you're going to claim something about yourself, especially claim to be the Messiah, their king, then your resume is your family. Your resume is your place of origin. So have a look with me. Um, next slide. This is actually just, just after the bit we looked at last week where Jesus uh, came and said, if anyone is thirsty, come and I will you know, give you Springs of living water to drink. Straight afterwards, look what happens in, the, in verse 40. 
On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Which is where Jesus came from. Galilee was sort of out in the sticks. It's like coming from Broken Hill or something, right? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Go to the next slide. Um, who's seen the movie Crazy Rich Asians? Yeah? Everyone's seen it. Come on. Surely. No, seriously. Stick up your hand if you've seen Crazy Rich Asians. I want to know. Yeah, okay. It's a good majority of us. Great movie. Do you remember when they're all trying to figure out who Rachel Chu is? Yeah, because she is dating Nick Young and he's like mega rich family and everyone from Nick Young's side of the social world wants to know who Rachel Chu is. And what kind of questions are they asking? Who is Rachel Chu? Who's her family? Is she from the Taiwan Plastics Chews? Or the Hong Kong Telecom Chews? Or the Malaysian Peanut Packing Chews? I'd like to meet someone from the Peanut Packing Chews. Yeah? Because it's all about who your family is. Well, that's the same with Jesus' day. Who is Jesus for them is tied up to his ancestry, his family. Who's his father? Where is he from? How can he claim what he claims? So that's kind of going on. This is all by way of introductions. Point number one, the who is Jesus question is a big thing in chapter 7 and 8. But you'll see that um, one of the patterns that happens in the Gospel of John is that Jesus is often seen to be put on trial, like he's under the spotlight. They're asking him who he is. But what Jesus does so masterfully, and he does it again and again, he does it with the woman at the well, he does it many, many times, is he turns the tables and he shines the spotlight back on the people who are asking him. So point number two, really this chapter is going to be about not who is Jesus, but who are you? Who are the Jews? So I'm going to get Anson up. He's going to come and read the passage that we're going to spend a little bit more time on. Um, So it's chapter 8, verses 31 to 47. You can follow it on the page number there. Let's hear the Bible passage read. Verse 31. Uh, to the Jews who, have, who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has a permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not know such things. You are doing the works of your own father. You are not illegitimate children. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to, the fa to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, his language, for he is a liar and the father, and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Thanks, Anson. So you see from that, uh, keep it open, by the way. You see how Jesus is turning the tables, don't you? The spotlight is now on the Jews who thought that they were asking Jesus who he was, but he's actually asking them, who are you? Now remember that, as I said, for the Jews, um, their identity is based on two things, both their family and freedom, right? Verse 33, we are Abraham's children, family. Therefore, we are slaves to no one. We are free. Those things are really important. Um, it's because um, if you don't know the story of how the Jewish nation was formed, it was formed from two big events. The first big event, back in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham out of his original family, and he promises that Abraham's descendants, his children, would be so numerous, not just numerous, but they would be special to God. They would become a new family, a new nation that belonged to God. And it all came from Abraham. So that's the first nation-defining event for them. The second one is, 400 years after Abraham, God would free these numerous children of Abraham. By now, they were in the millions but they were in slavery in Egypt and God would free them from slavery to fulfill this promise to Abraham. Okay, those two events, Abraham and what we call the Exodus coming out of slavery, define them. Now, you know that every nation has its own origin story that forms their identity, right? So um, if, you, if you know people from the U.S. or maybe you've come from the United States, um, those of us who aren't from the U.S. find it pretty puzzling that there are two things that don't seem to go together, but it's part of their identity. One is Christianity, yeah? The U.S. Uh, has been a very Christian nation, in inverted commas, but it's very part of their nation, part of their identity. But the other is, strangely enough, guns, isn't it? Like, those of us who are Australian don't really get their thing with guns, and especially those of you who are Christian, like Christian and guns, how does that go together? And often the people who say they're most Christian also own the most guns. Why is that? Well, it's because for Americans, there's two things that also define them. Firstly, Christianity. America was founded by a bunch of pilgrims from England who were escaping persecution to set up new Christian communities. That's where Thanksgiving came from. It's a Christian nation. Guns, well, America became a nation by what? War on England, a revolution, independence, one with ordinary people taking up arms. That's why guns are so precious to them. Right? That's part of their origin story, part of their identity. And for the Jews, it was Abraham and it was Moses, the Exodus. It was about father and it was father Abraham and it was about freedom. And that bit that we read, that Anson read earlier, you know what Jesus is really saying to them, right? Jesus says, guess what? You are neither right? Neither one of those things you really belong to. And the Jews would be like, what? what's going on? Why do you say that you're not really children of Abraham and you're not really free? You see what Jesus is doing? He's pushing up right against the very thing that they define themselves as. Now, 
Um, the verses, if you uh, read it earlier for the first time, or maybe in your community groups you read it, you might get a sense of it's kind of hard sometimes to get where John's going, right? It's a, bit, a little bit circular a lot of times, uh, the, the way that John writes. So um, I just want to give you a clue to reading these verses. The key idea behind them is this. You are your father's son, all right? Like father, like son. You are your father's son. That's a key idea. Because for most of human history, a son especially would follow in his father's footsteps. And not just in terms of resemblance, like what they look like, but particularly in terms of their life. Because a son would apprentice at their father's feet. So whatever the father was professionally, especially, the son becomes. If your father was a blacksmith, which by the way is where the surname Smith came from, you would be a blacksmith. That's how it worked, like father, like son. So the logic of Jesus' argument goes like this. With that in the background, you are your father's son. So if you have a look, I've kind of put it to you in, in, a, in a table form. The argument that Jesus is bringing to the Jews is this. Firstly, Jesus is God's son. And he's sent by God the Father to proclaim the truth. Right? That's who Jesus is. But you see, the Jews... They reject that truth, and by rejecting that truth, they are rejecting Jesus as well. And because they reject Jesus and the truth, then Jesus is saying to them, well, then you're not like Abraham, even though you claim that he's your father, because Abraham would not have done that to the truth. And so you're neither Abraham's children or God's children by rejecting Jesus and the truth. And instead, he goes a step further not only is their father not Abraham, because they're not like Abraham, you know who they're like? Well, they're like the devil, Satan, the enemy, the evil one. And because they are like the devil and really his children, the last thing Jesus says is, you are slaves. You are not as free as you think, right? Because you belong to him. That's essentially the argument in a nutshell for this chapter and these verses. Now imagine how angry Jesus' opponents would have been to hear this. Because as I said, this is all their national identity, their pride is caught up in their father Abraham and their freedom. And Jesus is saying, no, you have neither. Now I wonder if I asked you, if you are a proud Aussie, what would you say? Are you a proud Aussie? Sorry, it's not working. I <laughs> Like, what's our national identity for, 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 for Australians? You might be newer to this country, you might not know, but here is a picture of a, of a proud Aussie. Our, our national identity is forged from what? Survival stories, right? I mean, we're former convicts, but, you know, we were unjustly convicted, may have just stolen a loaf of bread, that's it, shipped out to a harsh land, but the fact that in this harsh land where most of the land is desert, we're able to survive and build something out of nothing. That's, that's who Aussies are. And so our heroes are, are, are bushrangers, basically criminals, but bushrangers. Um, our heroes are the Aussie battler. Yeah? The little guy who battles and is able to make something out of nothing. Um, we love the larrikin, the kind of Bob Hawke type figure, a guy who likes to drink and, and gamble and, you know, just likes to joke around a lot. That's the Aussie identity. And if you're a proud Aussie, 
And uh, I know people like this, right? That's what you hang on to. That's what you're proud of. Now imagine someone comes to this proud Aussie guy, we'll call him Wayne, and says, Wayne, let me tell you who you really are. Wayne goes, yeah, what do you mean, mate? And you say, let me tell you who you really are, Australians. Australia was built on the murder of Aborigines and the white Australia policy. Aussies, you really are a bunch of violent, racist, bogan, lazy drunks. What do you think Wayne's reaction is going to be? He's probably going to punch him. But essentially, that's what Jesus says to the Jews. All that you take pride in, all that you have your identity built on, you are not who you think you are. All that you define yourself as is false. You're not really children of Abraham, you're children of the devil. You're not really free, but you're slaves. Now, that's all very interesting because that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus and the Jews, but let's bring it to today because here's where God really wants you to listen and hear what he has to say because Jesus is speaking the same truth to us as well today. I'm up to my third point, who are you? See, when it comes to your identity markers, and for you, whether it's family or freedom, what Jesus said to the Jews is what he says about all of us. Did you take note in chapter 8, verse 34? Look at that verse again, chapter 8, 34. Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, he is not leaving anyone out here. He's not just saying, only you Jews who I'm talking about here. No, he says, everyone, anyone, today, 2,000 years after these words are spoken, anyone who sins, everyone who sins, is a slave to sin. Uh, in the 14th century, there was a duke in Belgium. His name was Reynald III. This is a true story. Uh, he was so obese, and I mean huge, morbidly obese, that his nickname was actually Reynald the Fat. Now, his brother Edward decided to start a coup or revolution, overthrew Reynald. Edward was younger, Reynald was older, older, but Edward overthrew uh, uh, Edward overthrew Reynold, and he imprisoned Reynold. But here's the thing, right? Because he's his brother. So he didn't want to put Reynold in chains. He didn't want to put him in prison. You know, there, there's still brotherly thing going on there. But he also needed to make sure Reynold didn't come and gather an army and fight back. So this is what Edward did. He put Reynold in a nice room in the castle. But he did some architectural alterations. He changed up the doorway so that the doorway was a lot smaller than usual. He changed up the windows so that the windows were a lot smaller than usual. But here's the thing, not so small that, you know, any of you couldn't just kind of squeeze through and walk past. But it was too small for Reynold. But here's the thing, right? All Reynold needed to do to get out and have his freedom was to lose weight. Because Edward didn't put him in chains. Edwin didn't put bars on the doors, uh, bars on the windows or doors, didn't put locks on the doors. All Reynold had to do was to lose enough weight to be able to get out of the doors and windows. 
But you see, Edward made sure that the whole time Reynold was there, he got every day the best food, the richest delight. He had a buffet every single meal. And so he provided Reynold, his brother, with all the food that Reynold could want and eat. And so Reynold not only didn't get thinner to get out, he got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so Reynold was imprisoned by his own appetite for 10 years. After his brother Edward finally died, they had to break the walls down to get Reynold out, but Reynold by then was so unhealthy he died a few months afterwards. So you could say that Reynold was a slave, wasn't he, to his own appetite. What kept him in that room was actually his love for food. Now guess what? This is how the Bible and Jesus pictures sin. Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Everyone who sins is enslaved by sin. Now, some of you are going to hear this and immediately you're going to think, that is wrong, that's offensive. I am not a slave to sin. I mean, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I do wrong things, but I'm not a slave. Imagine if you met someone who said, I'm not an alcoholic, but I can't go a week without getting wasted a few times. What would you say to them? you'd probably say that actually you probably are an alcoholic if you can't go a whole week without getting smashed a few times. You are a slave to alcohol. It's an addiction. Well, let me now ask you. Any of us here can go a day or even a week without lying or at least bending the truth, what we call a white lie. Can you? Anyone here? A day? A week even? Can any of you go a day or a week without lusting after someone to whom you're not married? Whether it's to look at a person walking past or pornographic images. How many of you can go a day or a week without losing your patience and getting angry with someone. Because they're all sins. And so if I say, no, I'm not a slave to sin, but I can't go a day or a week without repeating those sins, lying, lust, anger, then my records show otherwise, don't it? My record shows that actually Maybe I am a slave to sin, much as I don't like it, much as I find it offensive. The Bible says, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. How many of you can be honest enough to know what that feels like? See, Jesus is asking all of us today, Will we accept or reject this truth? As Jesus shines his truth in our lives about sin and slavery, about our desperate condition, how many of you are going to accept? How many of you are going to reject? Because you know what? The Jews in John chapter 8, they didn't accept that truth. They wouldn't accept that truth. Now, 
that's a tragedy, not only because to reject the truth is to embrace a lie. It's not only a tragedy because by rejecting Jesus and the truth that Jesus speaks, they would eventually kill their own Messiah. That's all the tragedy. But you know what the other tragedy is? The tragedy is because of, look at verse 32. Jesus said to them in verse 32, the truth will set you free. And look at verse 36. It's a tragedy because Jesus says also to them in verse 36, if the Son, that's Him, sets you free, you will be free indeed. You see, Jesus wants us to see our real condition, our slavery to sin. Not so that He can shame us, but so that He can free us. Do you see? He doesn't want to rip away your identity markers to leave you without an identity and insecure. He wants to give you a better identity to make you secure forever. And so you need to see the truth first before that happens. Because this is what Jesus is going to do. Look at this next verse. How is he going to give us a new identity? How is he going to give it to us, free us? From slavery, Hebrews chapter 2 on the screen. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus comes so that he would die, and by his death the Son would trade places with slaves. Now, many of you may know the uh, book or the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You remember Edmund, one of the brothers, the main characters, he decides to take up the white witch's offer of Turkish delight. I don't particularly like Turkish delight. I suppose in modern days it'd be like a durian, maybe. I'd be tempted by that. Um, but by taking the Turkish delight, he actually becomes her slave. And he's stuck. And he can't get himself free. But you know the story, right? For Edmund to be set free, Aslan, the great lion, offers to trade places with Edmund. He gives himself to be sacrificed by the white witch so that Edmund can go free. Now, the man who wrote this, C.S. Lewis, was a Christian. And of course, Aslan is a picture of Jesus. Edmund is you and me. The white witch is the devil, Satan. So what's going on here? Jesus, who was completely free because he was free from sin, chose to make himself subject to the devil, subject to death. He did an exchange. He takes our place on the cross for our sin. And by trading places with us, he dies the death that we deserve to die. And by doing that, he breaks the power of the devil over us. Just like when Aslan dies, Edmund is set free. And then Jesus rose again three days later to defeat death once and for all. But because he trades places with you and me, we who were the slaves of the devil can become sons and daughters of God the Father, just as Jesus is. Jesus is God's Son, 
And because he trades places with you and becomes a slave, you can become a son or a daughter. And so in one fell swoop, you see what Jesus does on the cross and his resurrection. He secures those, those key identity markers. Remember? Family, freedom. He secures your freedom and makes you family. Friends, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to know that you can have this today. By trusting in Jesus... And asking Him into your life to set you free and make you part of God's family. You can do that today. And if you're not sure how to, how to do that, how to become a Christian, come and see myself, come and see Pastor Marshall, any of the, or maybe even the friend who brought you. We'd love to chat with you. Now some of you, many of you, most of you are thinking, well, I'm already a Christian. I'm already a child of God. So what's, what's, what's in this for me? Well, have a look at chapter 8, verse 31. Because this is a little detail you might not have noticed. The, the whole beginning of this conversation. Um, did you notice who Jesus was talking to? To the Jews who had... What's the word there? Say it with me. To the Jews who had... Believed Him. This whole time He's speaking to them. He's not speaking to the Pharisees people who hated Jesus, the authorities who wanted to arrest Jesus, the enemies. No, no, he's speaking to believers. Now, now John's gospel does this a lot. Lots of people believe in Jesus along the way, but then they really show that they don't really believe or they stop following Jesus or stop believing. Because it's possible to, to believe but not let it change your life. And I want to say that for many people here, it's not that you're not free, it's just that you don't live out that freedom. That is, you are sons, but you live as slaves. Do you know how they keep circus elephants? You might know this. When they get an elephant, when the elephant's still a baby, they chain the elephant up. And obviously a baby elephant can't break out of the chains. But you know, when the elephant is full grown... The elephant actually could break out of the chains. They're strong enough. But when they keep the chains on the elephant, the elephant doesn't know any better. Because he's been chained from the beginning, from being a baby. He doesn't know that he can break out of the chains. And so while the elephant is strong enough to break free, the chains still keep the elephant imprisoned. Because in the elephant's mind, it's still a slave. Here it is. If you are a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus, the devil no longer owns you. But the devil, what will he do? What does he do? He will deceive you. He will make you forget who you are. He will make you forget who your daddy is. And what security and confidence and victory that should bring. Right? That's what the devil is good at. He can't enslave you again, but he'll make you think you're still a slave. Hands up if you've ever been to the White House at Washington, D.C. Hands up. I haven't. No one. No one's been to D.C. Oh, just one. One person in the back. Um, did you, any of you ever have the privilege of going on a tour and actually walking into the Oval Office? No, probably no one. Okay. The Oval Office, you know what the Oval Office is, right? Where the president um, does his work. How many of you can imagine, just any time you want, right, not only strolling into the White House, 
but being able to go into the Oval Office and just hang out at the Oval Office. I mean, can, can anyone imagine doing that? Maybe you've got some university work or you want to do some of your own work. You get to take it with you. And, and you know, I'm just going to stroll into the Oval Office and do it on the Resolute desk, which is the President's desk, and anytime I want. Can any of you imagine doing that? Of course not. It's ridiculous, right? We don't have access like that. You can't just treat the Oval Office as your, as your study. Well, you know, you can't do that and I can't do that, but I'll tell you who could do that. Have a look at this famous photo. Can you go to the next slide? This isn't working. You see, there's John F. Kennedy, famous American president. But look who's under his desk. And look what he's doing. He's playing in the Oval Office, under the president's desk, not a care in the world. Who gets to have that kind of access to the Oval Office, the most sacred space in the White House? Well, of course, it's JFK's son, John F. Kennedy Jr. You see, you don't have that access. I don't have that access. But the president's son does. Now, for a moment, get into your head who your father is. Because he's bigger than the American president. Look at these next verses. Go to the next slide. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Okay, firstly, Jesus, king of kings, creator of the universe, God, calls you friends. But let's go a step further. Look at the next passage, Galatians 4. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba is just the word for daddy. Uh, Follows Christians, Jesus is saying, you are no longer slaves, you are sons. He is saying, The truth can set you free. And he is saying, and if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Now, now just get your head around that. The God of the universe, you get to call Daddy. Now, imagine if you lived that out. Because for a moment, I, I just want us to understand that that's Satan's biggest power over us. It's to stop us remembering who we are if we are Christians. Sons and daughters of the King of the universe. Now, what would change this very week if you lived out of that identity? That God is your daddy and that you are free. Um, What would happen the next time you are tempted by habitual sin? You know, the kind of sin that you just do again and again and again and just entangles you, keeps you down, threatens to even make you a slave all over again? What would happen if you faced that sin this week out of that identity? See, rather than face it already feeling ashamed and defeated because of all the times you failed, what if you faced it out of this new identity? I am a child of God. And God, my Father, does not hold my failures against me. 
God, my Father, says He will not condemn me no matter how many times I've failed. He loves me. And God's love is better than what this sin promises. Imagine if you said to yourself, I'm free. God has set me free. Sometimes I don't feel it, but I am free, which means I can choose not to sin. Jesus is already victorious. He gives me the Holy Spirit. I don't have to fight for victory. I already am victorious. I don't fight for victory. I fight from victory. So imagine if you did that this week with those sins. Or what would happen next time you prayed? Would you only pray routine prayers, safe prayers? You know, in case you don't get disappointed, God, I'll just make sure this is the thing I'm going to ask you. It's not too hard for you, so I don't get disappointed. What would change if you prayed out of your identity? Wouldn't you pray as a son and a daughter of the king and do so boldly and do so confidently? Wouldn't you pray prayers for others and for yourself? Understanding that you have the heavenly Father's year in a way that people who aren't His don't have? Wouldn't you truly begin to now step into powerful, supernatural prayers to begin to intercede for the nations? Wouldn't it change the way you prayed? And what would happen next time you hear those voices in your head about yourself like, You'll never be good enough. You'll never be happy. In fact, you don't deserve to be happy. You don't deserve to be loved by God or anyone. You should just give up. I mean, what if you face those voices with your new identity? And the next time those voices are haunting you, you say, No, I am a child of God. I am loved. I am accepted, I am precious, and I am free. I'm free from the devil's slavery, I'm free from the devil's lies. Because you know that's where they come from, right? Those voices. And so you take those lies of the devil, and you can throw it right back at him, because you know your identity. You take his bony, accusing finger that pointed at you, and you go ahead, grab it, and you break it. Because who are you? Your daddy is God. And you are free. Let's sing in response and I'll pray. Father, help us to live in the freedom and security of being loved and accepted by you. I pray that if you are speaking to anyone in particular right now, people who need to grab hold of that for the first time or just need to break the lies that the devil wants them to be forgetting about themselves, that you would do that right now by your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing, um, and during the song, we're going to be taking up the uh, offertory. This is for 